Welcome to PQ Beat, the official podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. I'm Peter McCulley. Daryl Fox was just 17 when he joined his older brother Terry on his run across Canada, his Marathon of Hope. He talks about being on the road with Terry, the amazing legacy of more than 40 years of support by Canadians, and the Terry Fox Foundation and Research Institute. We welcome Daryl Fox to the podcast. With the Terry Fox run coming up, there's lots I want to talk to you about, your brother's legacy, Daryl, but first let's start with what you are doing these days. Well, I've been involved, uh, I guess, for, for 42 years, uh, counting or running now. I um, feel lucky and privileged that I'm able to, to have the same last name and was there in 1980 as part of the Marathon of Hope. So right now, um, my day job is with the Terry Fox Research Institute. The Terry Fox Foundation is responsible for raising funds in Terry's name for cancer research and at TFRI, the acronym, we are responsible for allocating resources. And along with that, uh, you know, any of uh, the projects that wish to recognize Terry's legacy. And that's what's so exciting, Peter, that here we are 42 years removed from Terry's Marathon of Hope. And, you know, people are still looking to acknowledge his, his efforts. So along with fellow member, family members, that's something that we do on a regular basis. And it hasn't diminished in any way. In fact, if anything, there, you know, we're seeing more proposals coming forward than ever before. So Every day is a great day to be associated and linked to Terry's legacy, and I, I do. I pinch myself every day that I've been given this incredible honor, an honor I do not deserve. You know, I just happen, again, to be Terry Fox's brother, and it's Canadians from coast to coast that are responsible for the ever-growing legacy that has continued. Well, as you say, you've been working with the Foundation and Research Institute for more than 30 years in various roles. Perhaps you could let us know how the various research grants and the fundraising by Canadians, which over, as you say, the last 40 years, has reached more than $800 million, and how that is helping folks across the country. Well, there's been incredible progress over the last four years. I mean, we in, in the early days, you know, going back 20 years, there was still the, the question of, you know, are we getting anywhere? I don't think that's out there anymore. You know, we have a, a program called Terry's Team, and the Terry's Team program consists of cancer survivors. They wear their red T-shirts at the Terry Fox Run. And what is amazing is to, to see how many Terry's team members and how many red t-shirts we see every year now. And that's because of the progress we've made because of the investment over the last 42 years. We don't do it alone. We have to collaborate. You know, one of the efforts of the Terry Fox Research Institute is working with other cancer organizations across the country, both funders and fundraisers. And that's what Terry did in 1980. He brought a nation together, and that's what we're doing right now as a, a research identity is bringing um, you know, research organizations together. The story I always share, because it's personal, is I lost a brother to this disease, is how osteosarcoma has increased. Terry would still get methotrexate or adriamycin, but how they administer the drugs has certainly increased survival rates. And, you know, if Terry were diagnosed today with osteogenic sarcoma, not only is there a really good chance that he would survive, but there's a, also the possibility that he wouldn't have lost his leg to cancer. Now, for me, again, personally, that is extremely powerful. I can't change history. You know, I've lost a brother to cancer, and 42 years later, it's, it still hurts. But I know with every loony and toony we raise today, we are saving lives in the future. And that's what Terry wanted us to do in 1980. So what makes you most proud about your role with the foundation thus far? I like I'm a sponge, you know, Peter, like, like in 1980, I, you, know, you mentioned I was 17. Well, I feel I'm still 17 and yet I'm, I'm not. 
the opportunity to, to today to talk to you and reflect. You you saw Terry in, in, in 1980. I just enjoy that. It's an incredible gift and to share his story and to see the reaction it has so many years after the Marathon of Hope is something that I really cannot tire of. It's 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 fresh. It's like it was yesterday that I was on the road and, and with Terry and, and Doug Allward, his, his best friend. And I don't live in, in the past, but I go back there every day of my life. And it's a, a nice place to, to visit and, and stay. You published a book for the 40th anniversary of the Marathon of Hope, which was a couple of years ago, which I read recently. Terry Fox, uh, Legacy and Letters, which tells the story of your brother's impact on all of Canada in 1980 letters from across the country and how the writers were affected by Terry and his dream. And I've got to think that was a very, very emotional process for you. It was an incredible process. And I feel, you know, it was a team effort and maybe my name's on the book, but uh, the fellow family members and a huge team that Peglin was behind it. And, you know, the opportunity to connect and engage with some of the people that prepared letters was, was incredible. I think you're a Bobby Orr fan. Well, so am I. <laughs> so, and, and actually, that, Peter, that was my first call. The first person I engaged with was, was Bobby, and he's always been there for us and, and for Terry. And, you know, I reached out to him on the Friday, and I didn't hear initially from him. But uh, by the time he responded on Monday, he'd already written his letter. In true Bobby Orr fashion, it, it, he wasn't about to email it to me. He wanted to put a stamp on it and send it my way. And I have that letter. I cherish that letter. And I cherish the words within. You know, it, it's pretty powerful. And every letter is special and has meaning because of our opportunity. I didn't engage with all the letter writers. We had a team that assisted, but uh, certainly there were quite a few of them that I was able to communicate with. And it was an incredible process and a very emotional process as well. Are there any other letters in the book that are a standout that you'd like to mention? Well, I think I just picked a favorite, but I'm not supposed to. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, Bobby was certainly way up there, but each one of them offers something special and unique. I like, I love the Tom Cochran letter. I, lo- I love how he saw Terry on the last day of the Marathon of Hope and that story that he shares about almost giving up in his desire to, to seek a musical profession and seeing Terry on the road changed him and had an incredible impact. I love that. I love the story about Jim Terrian. You know, no one knows about Jim Terrian, but uh, he's based in Prince Rupert. He's raised almost a million dollars for cancer research, not only in that community, but in Prince George by going door to door, like knocking on every door. And he keeps a record if no one's home to come back to that door and knock again. I think that symbolizes just the effort of Canadians to keep Terry's Marathon of Hope alive. So it's a great read and it's always close by. If ever I think I'm having a bad day, I pick up that book and, that bad day is, ends really quickly. <laughs> well, reading some of those letters was uh, very emotional for me as well, because as you mentioned, I was a very young news reporter at a radio station in Sydney, Cape Breton. When Terry had come through, he had started in Newfoundland and made it through to Sydney and uh, was just coming off the ferry, more or less. And I was on the main street when he came through, something I'll really never forget. Folks applauding and shouting words of encouragement. And what had so much impact for me was that Terry and I were the same age. And he was so focused on what he wanted to do and was so determined to get there. And I think everyone there that day saw that. Yes, that's an, you know something that I share when I talk about being with Terry was not only the opportunity to witness him carry out a miracle, which I think he did, but witness people like you on the side of the road witnessing 
this miracle. Like that is is forever embedded in my mind, just the reaction he was instilling on people who were able to witness him run. It, it's very powerful and very emotional because he was giving unconditionally of himself to help others. And that was purely evident by those watching him. Tell us about being on the road with your brother. The days started early and ended late. Yeah, I didn't like that part. <laughs> much, Peter. Like it was a uh, 4.30. It was early for a 17-year-old. The days were long, very long. And I wasn't running 42K every day. I wasn't running a marathon. And I was exhausted. And I wanted to roll over. I don't know how he got up every morning. I re- really, really don't. But he was obviously very determined and committed to the marathon of hope. And the day he would start running usually at 5. And the idea was to run 12 miles in, in the morning one mile at a time. The van was the mile marker. So Doug would drive the van one mile ahead of Terry and park it on the side of the road. And Terry used that as a visual object whenever it was in sight to pull himself to it. And then he'd run past it. And then Doug would proceed to mark mile two. After two miles, every second mile, Terry would take a short break where, hey, I stepped up and did something where I would present him, you know, with a a glass of water or an orange. Um, And then he would be on his way to run the next two miles. And so 12 miles in the morning, that would take him to about nine o'clock. He would take three hours off where he would first start the break with eating as much food as he possibly could. Obviously, running 26 miles, he needed to eat. And then it would be followed by a sleep in the van. And then he'd start running at 12. To get the marathon, he needed to run 14 miles, more miles in the afternoon. And then the day wasn't over. You know, in the maritime provinces, yes, there were less activities in the evening. But uh, once he hit Ontario, every night was one or two receptions where Terry would share a story of why he was running across the country. Eight o'clock, maybe 8.30 would be the time that he could finally call it a day. And uh, somehow, miraculously, he would wake up the next day at 4.30 and do it all over again. Again, I was exhausted. I was completely exhausted. And yet he, he did it 143 days in a row. He has really proven to me that anything is possible if you try and that limitations are self-imposed. We can do anything. And the momentum as Terry left the Maritimes and headed, as you say, to Ontario, and more and more media attention gathered on the Marathon of Hope, there was a huge upswell. I think at times we we tend to say that, you know, it was Ontario that brought the Marathon of Hope to the next level, but I think it was a base. It was a support in the Maritime provinces. Port of Bass, for example, the last community in Newfoundland, population 10,000. They raised $10,000, and that's where Terry changed his goal from a million dollars to raising $1 from every Canadian or $24 million back then. I've always felt that it was the mums and pops that came out and greeted Terry who brought him into the house for a meal that really kept him going. And it was that base of support that, that got him to Ontario. But yeah, as you say, it was once we crossed the border, it was it was absolute chaos, you know. So that that three hour break that I referenced mentioned earlier was not a nap anymore. It was another couple of gatherings to, to share a story. So it just further added to um, the exhaustion. He kept saying, you know, this is nothing. He always compared running a marathon a day to going through cancer. And he know, knew that he had left behind people that were fighting for their lives. So that always kept him motivated to run another step, another mile, another day. It was always within him. He was able to put things in perspective all the time and felt that he was pretty lucky to not be taking on cancer in the cancer ward at that time. Daryl, I had the pleasure of meeting your mom, Betty, twice 
on uh, Terry Fox Run in Nova Scotia. Once, uh, I think probably within the first three or four years of the Terry Fox Runs being established. I think it was in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, actually. And once in British Columbia on Salt Spring Island, she and the rest of your family all became ambassadors for the Terry Fox Run. Did anyone have a sense that Terry's dream was going to be this far-reaching and enduring? I don't think so. You know, you mentioned Terry's dream. I think he may have dreamed that, that it would keep going. And he said, it's got to keep going without me when he had to stop in, in Thunder Bay on September 1st, 1980. But uh, no one, I don't think we ever could have imagined that, you know, the foundation would be so vibrant and moving forward uh, 42 years removed from the Marathon of Hope. And again, we thank Canadians for continuing the run because, you know, we're just a very large team and a very large family. And like, I think we're, we're okay as long as we follow Terry. I mean, just some of the things that he thought of back when he was just a 21-year-old, he wasn't asking for $100 or $1,000. He asked for a dollar from every Canadian. So with his words and with his vision, he was so inclusive. He brought us all into it. And I think everyone feels a part of the marathon of hope that it's theirs. And I think that's why it continues to be so vibrant. But I think what it also offers is some important values that I admire today of his unselfish act and the fact that he cherished each dollar, whether it came from Joey Smith or a large corporation, they were equally important. And I think that's important to us because it was important to Terry. So I think it has staying power, but also, unfortunately, we still have some work to do in terms of finding the answers to cancer. So that's another reason why we're around and still need it. So I look forward to the day that there won't have to be an annual Terry Fox run. That is my dream. That was Terry's dream to end the suffering that cancer causes. And we'll look forward to celebrating that one day soon. I'm sure there's been some very significant partnerships over the years with the Terry Fox Foundation. Maybe you could touch on a few of those for us. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting that those that supported Terry in 1980 are still around 42 years later. And, you know, they might be partnerships, but I think they're friendships. So in their close relationships, Ford of Canada has always been there for us. You know, we found the van in 2007, thanks to Doug Copeland, author. He was able to track it down. One of the first calls we made was to Ford of Canada to see if they would restore it. A few weeks, they were calling back to say that they would be happy to restore it. They spent the next three months fully restoring it, taking it up completely apart and putting it back together. And then we took it across the country in May of 2008 and called it the Tour of Hope with Ford uh, supporting us and also Scotiabank, who has always been around. We raised over $500,000 for cancer research. So there's one example of one relationship, but I could go on to others too, including Adidas in the shoes that Terry wore, which we've you know released a couple of times. First time was back in 2005 for the 25th anniversary. We offered up uh, 6,000 pairs of the replica shoe that Terry wore, and they sold out within a week. So that was very exciting, too. So we've uh, since more recently released uh, the shoe again, and then also some vintage Terry Fox t-shirts, which were also very exciting. So those are good friendships and relationships that we have. Uh, we're very excited about the future. So what effect did COVID have on the runs in 2020 and 2021? And how many fundraising events do you estimate will be held in 2022 across the country now that we're emerging from the pandemic? Obviously, we were affected by COVID. Um, what do we do every year? We come together and we participate in Terry Fox runs. And that was taken away from us in 2020 and to a certain extent, 2021 as well. So that was really difficult. So we had to go virtual. But Canadians, Terry Foxers, did not let us down. They found a way, and 2020 was a tough year. We were certainly down in revenue that year a little bit, primarily with our school events. 
but we bounced back in a big way last year and we were, 2021 was on par with 2019 in terms of revenue. So that's good. And it's looking really good for 2022. It looks like we'll be able to actually host events again this year. There are over, I think, 9,000 schools across the country that host Terry Fox events and together with the Terry Fox run itself and some of the special events were over 10,000 events each year. I understand there's more than 50,000 items in the Marathon of Hope and Terry's personal artifacts collection, and they're currently in storage. Is a permanent home open to the public to display some of these items in the works? Well, I think for, for us, I mean, this is uh, something that has been handed off to the family. And, you know, mom was very protective of all things Terry. You know, the water that he retrieved from the Atlantic Ocean on day one of the Marathon of Hope. She misplaced it a few times uh, and was quite concerned about it. Terry's journal was something that she was very protective of. The shoe, the sock that he wore on his artificial leg that he never took off during the Marathon of Hope was something that she was very protective of. So we're very protective of Terry's memorabilia because it's important when we're no longer here. It's about preservation first and foremost. We need to protect the collection. And as you indicated right now, it's in in storage. Maybe not the best environment right now where it is. So we do need help there. You know, I think things are changing in terms of um, what is required for display. I think we very much like to maybe have a few artifacts on display. But if we can share the artifacts in a virtual way, that is a way as well. We're going to be patient. That's our nature and also our focus. Terry was focused on raising money for cancer research. So that always has to be number one on our list. But going forward, we also need to protect the collection so that it is around for future generations to enjoy as well. For folks listening to this podcast years from now, is there any wisdom that you'd like to pass along for them? What would you want them to know about Terry and the important work that's being carried on in his name? What I share when I have the ability to speak to the next generation and young people is that, you know, I start by saying Terry was pretty average. (laughs) He was. He was average in every way. He was an average student. He was an average athlete. But look what he accomplished. And he, he accomplished a lot through, one, putting his own personal interests aside and wanting to help other people. But two, through hard work and determination. It's all there. It's there for you. It's whether you're prepared to put the effort in to accomplish your goals. That's the message we want to share because there are Terry Foxers everywhere. They just have to find it within themselves to go after their goals and their dreams, whatever they are, and they will be successful. I'd like to thank Daryl Fox for being our guest today. That's this edition of PQ Beat. If you have comments or suggestions, we'd like to hear from you. You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com.